Thanks for checking out this week's sermon from Bonavista Baptist Church. We invite, encourage, and equip you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In 1967, a movie came out called Guess Who's Coming for Dinner. Some of you will remember it because you watched it at the time. Some of us might have to look it up and watch it on YouTube or another way. It was a bit of a groundbreaking film. Uh, For some people, it was quite controversial. It had some big-name actors in it. Catherine Hepburn was one of them. Spencer Tracy. It was actually Spencer Tracy's last film that he ever made. And also an actor by the name of Sidney Poitier. Uh, The the film itself uh, was based around a character. And the character's name was Joanna Drayton. She was from uh, a white, uh, upper-class, wealthy family based in San Francisco. And one day, she decided to bring her new fiancé home for dinner to meet her parents. Now, her fiancé was a doctor. He was a man of integrity. He was a good catch, checked all the right boxes. But there was one problem. He was black. And we have to remember at the time in 1967, uh, it was still illegal to marry across races. Interracial marriage was illegal still in 17 states. So this film kind of pushed the boundaries just a little bit. The film challenged stereotypes, it challenged racial segregation, but the film also shows us that our dinner guests reveal a lot about our core values and beliefs. Well, Jesus was often a guest at dinner tables during his time. In fact, it got him into trouble at times because he was known to be a guest at the table of so-called sinners. And that got him into trouble and a bit of a bad reputation. But in this occasion, Jesus is the guest of a Pharisee, and not just an ordinary Pharisee. This was a ruler of the Pharisees, a leader of the Pharisees, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This, This man had prominence. He had status. Uh, He maybe had some wealth or ability, but he was inviting Jesus over for dinner. But there was also another guest invited to this dinner. The dinner was on a Sabbath, and so it would have been a very special meal. It would have been a holy meal. And not only was Jesus invited, but another man was invited to this dinner. But this man had a medical condition. In older versions of the Bible, older translations, sometimes it's called dropsy. Uh, It has to do with um, the retention of water that causes a puffiness um, for the limbs and face and neck maybe to be swollen. Uh, It was probably uh, an indication of an underlying condition that this man had. And the language that's used in the passage signifies that this man was brought in and very intentionally seated directly in front of Jesus. This was a test. This was a trap that was being set for Jesus. This is actually the fourth time that Luke mentions a clash between Jesus and the Pharisees over the context of Sabbath and what was allowed to be be done uh, during the Sabbath time. And so this was a test for Jesus. What would Jesus do? How would he handle this very uncomfortable situation? He couldn't avoid it. 
They sat the man directly in front of Jesus, very, very intentionally. Uh, The Greek word that's used to describe what they were doing, they were watching Jesus. That word means to watch closely and observe carefully, Uh, to observe what someone does, how they react. It it could be um, a context could could show the meaning of to watch maliciously, uh, to lie in wait for. They were ready to pounce on Jesus if he did the wrong thing. So it says that Jesus asked them a question, but then he took hold of the man. And I, I don't think it was a physical grabbing of the man. It wasn't aggressive. It was like reaching out and taking his hand. Jesus took hold of the man, and he simply heals him right in front of everybody. Can you imagine sitting at the dinner table, and this man obviously had an affliction, and Jesus reached out, took hold of his hand, and simply heals the man. And then it says, he sends the man away. Now, maybe Jesus said, you've had enough awkwardness and embarrassment. You've been healed. Go. Uh, But the word also means to release or to acquit. And so perhaps just as Jesus releases the man's hand, so he releases the man from the burden of his infirmity, the burden of the disease. So let's stop just for a minute, because what just happened? At the dinner table, this is amazing. This should have been a cause for celebration. It should have been a cause at least for some people to be shocked or to kind of freak out. I mean, this man has just been physically healed from an affliction. But instead, the dinner guests have nothing to say. They remain silent they're still waiting to pounce. They're, they're giving, as, as the expression goes, Jesus just enough rope to hang himself. They're waiting for Jesus to trip up, to fail the test. And so they don't even see the miracle that's just happened right in front of them because they're still watching for Jesus to fail. They remained silent. They had nothing to say. The host had invited Jesus to trap him. And they had invited this poor man simply as bait. So what happens next? Well, essentially, Jesus turns the tables on the guests and the hosts. And he gives a challenge first to the guests, a challenge that essentially is a lesson in humility. But then he turns his attention to the host, and he gives the host a challenge, which essentially is a lesson in hospitality. And this idea of humble hospitality is really at the heart of the message in this passage. You see, Jesus observed the guests as they were coming into the dinner. They were all vying for the best seats at the table, the seats that had special status or special honor. Apparently at a Jewish meal, uh, the top place, the top seat of honor was at the head of the table. But another seat of honor would be the middle of the middle couch around the table. And so there were special seats that everybody knew those seats were reserved for people of status, people of honor. And that's what everybody was trying to get to. Uh, Even the disciples played this game. 
There was one time that uh, James and John had their mummy go to Jesus and say, could you let my son sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into the kingdom? He was sending the mum to jockey for position and status and power. In the end, that honor was actually given to two thieves that were on the right and the left of Jesus as he hung on his cross. Well, the lesson to the guests is pretty straightforward. Essentially, Jesus is saying, look, don't embarrass yourselves. Don't do what you're doing because it's embarrassing. Don't try and promote yourself at the table. Instead, let the host promote you when your time comes. Well, Jesus also observed that the host would only invite those of a similar social standing or special honor to his meal. And, and Jesus wanted to draw the attention to that as well. Uh, the host would only especially invite those who would be able to offer him a meal in return. That's part of the catch. You see, we're dealing with a, a social system of benefactors and recipients, a social system where you gain status by doing favors for other people and having people owe you favors in return. So you climb the social status in this way, and and it would literally be social suicide to invite people who couldn't owe you back a favor. So you wouldn't invite the poor or the crippled or the lame or the beggars because they could owe you nothing in return and you wouldn't gain in your social standing. And so for Jesus to suggest that would be unthinkable to the host because the meal wasn't about giving people food. It was about gaining social status. Well, the Greek word for hospitality is actually philoxenia. It literally means the love of the stranger. And that's what Jesus was trying to promote. How do we love the stranger? How do we love those that we don't know and who can't pay us back if we give them something? That's what Jesus was advocating. So the lesson to the host is also pretty simple. It's don't use your table for self-promotion. Let God promote you instead. There's a commentator that said these words. This dinner wasn't about helping others. It was about helping oneself, advancing oneself, moving forward in the social matrix. These guests didn't seem to be especially concerned about the man with dropsy, only whether Jesus could be charged with breaking the Sabbath or not. The meal wasn't about enjoying Jesus' company and learning from him so much as it was enhancing one's social status. So Jesus is saying that when you hold a special meal, at least this was the message to the host at the time, invite those who are least able to reciprocate. Do it out of love. Do it out of the goodness of your heart. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Don't look for status, but rather bless them with your generosity. Then God will reward you. So what's the lesson for us today? What what is the Spirit saying to, to us as his church in this time? What is the Spirit saying to us as individuals as we attempt to follow Jesus? Well, we might not have the same cultural setting 
as the disciples, at the, as those guests and the hosts at the dinner table. Uh, we generally have the freedom to sit wherever we want, except for when I was growing up. My dad always sat at the head of the table. But generally, we don't have that same status or that same social convention. But what doesn't change is the human condition. I think we still have a very deep desire for the approval of others. We still try and climb the social ladder, maybe just in different ways. Uh, We still grasp at power and status. And we still tend to favor those who are just like us and favor those who can pay us back. I think those things don't change. And, And if we're honest, I think we're a lot more like the Pharisees than we would care to admit. The Pharisees worked um, among a a number of assumptions that they had made. They they assumed that they were the gatekeepers to the truth. They they assumed that they were responsible to preserve the purity of the community. Uh, They assumed that their understanding of the scripture was superior to all others. Uh, Maybe their favorite expression could have been, not on my watch. They were the gatekeepers, the watchdogs, somewhat self-appointed. But they were so wrapped up in their own sense of self-importance that they failed to see a miracle that happened right in front of their eyes. They were so caught up in their self-importance that they failed to recognize that they had just had dinner with the creator of the universe. They missed it because of their sense of self-importance. May God preserve us from an overabundant sense of self-importance. Well, like the Pharisees, I often find myself working from a set of assumptions, a set of assumptions that might actually prevent me from sharing my table with strangers. Assumptions like, well, the West is superior to all other cultures and Modern times are superior to the past, or youth is superior to age, or the new is superior to the old. These are assumptions that sometimes I embrace, or that civilization only counts in terms of technological advancement, or material poverty is more important than other kinds of poverty, or that Western scientific thinking is superior to all other ways of knowing or that the individual's choices, specifically my choices, matter more than the collective or the corporate choice. These are assumptions that we operate under, much like the Pharisees do. And sometimes these assumptions make it difficult for me to share my table with the stranger, or with someone who is different, or with someone who maybe can't pay me back. We tend to surround ourselves with people who are like us and people who can owe us. And I tend not to want to learn from someone whom I might see as being inferior to me. Now, on Fridays, we've been doing a Friday spiritual uh, checkup. And on those Fridays, I've been looking at the top 10 books that have influenced me. And the authors that I've chosen, I think, are wonderful men of God, tremendous authors, And those are the ones that have influenced me. But I commented to Pastor Samuel just the other day. I realized that all the books I've chosen are old white guys. They're old white authors. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm 
I'm very quickly becoming an old white guy myself. But I realize something, that I tend to gravitate toward the people who are like me, even in my reading, even in my research, to learn from them. And I think one of the ways I need to expand my table is to begin to read other authors, to begin to invite other voices to inform my spiritual life. And that's just one way that I need to branch out beyond those who are like me sitting at the table with me. Well, why would we do something like that? Why would we bother? Because it's not comfortable. It's not easy. It takes intentionality and it takes risk. Why would we do it? Because guess who's coming to dinner in the kingdom of God? I actually suspect that it's a whole lot of people that sometimes we take pains to avoid. That's who's coming to dinner. And Jesus points this out as he goes through to the end of the passage and the passage that follows after that. Well, a few months ago, in February, I think, uh, Pastor Samuel, myself, Eric, and June were at a pastor's retreat. And one of the speakers introduced us to a painting by a man uh, with the name Seeger Coder. I think he passed away in 2015. And this man has painted a number of different scenes of Jesus at the table with sinners. And we're going to show you that uh, painting right now. As you look around the table, you see Jesus serving what looks like communion to a number of different people. We see the religious. We see the promiscuous. We see the old. We see the clown. We see the intellectual. We see the socialite, the wealthy. And we see the oppressed. All gathered around the table. I invite you just to reflect on this image for a moment while I read the words of Jesus as he says this. But when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Or this from a little later on in the passage. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste for my banquet. So, as we conclude the sermon for today, Let me just ask the question, who's at your table? And who is at the head of that table?